Father, we thank you that you are good. Even when it's hard to see that, Father, you are good. Even when it's difficult to see in these times, Father, our trust is in you. And so, Father, as we want to take a few moments out of our day to spend at your word, we know that you are a good God. That you never leave us alone, but you're a God who fights for your people, who speak on behalf of your people when they do not have words to say, who appear before others and give us the confidence, not because of ourselves or because of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we come right now, we do not have the audacity to want to hear your word. But Father, by the power of the Jesus Christ and the cross and His resurrection, we come that on behalf of Your Son, speak to us. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Take these moments as You speak through Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Eric Yuan was a failure in people's eyes. When he was a freshman in college in Shandong, China, he was very poor. Every time he wanted to see his girlfriend, he did not have money to buy a plane ticket. So he had to take the train for 10 hours just to see his girlfriend. Eric hated those train rides. He was often ridiculed by his friends because he did not have money to buy a plane ticket. But while he was on this train, long train rides, Eric Yuan dreamt of a day he could communicate with his girlfriend uh, was ten, without the 10 hours dried. So Eric would not let his circumstances define him. Then came the internet in the 1990s, and China was not as advanced as the US at the time, with, especially with new technology. Eric wanted to research and be involved in the internet industry. So he applied for a visa to the US. He was turned down immediately. But Eric kept trying. He kept trying, turned down, kept trying, turned down, kept trying, got turned down. He got turned down nine times before he finally got the visa to enter the US. Eric would not let his circumstances defined him. When Eric got to the US, he worked for an internet research company. But not long after, the research company was taken over by another larger company. Eric thought that he would be retrenched. Eric was prepared for the worst, he even thought of returning back to China. But miraculously, he wasn't let go. Eric was not defined by his circumstances. Then Eric designed a new program on the internet called Zoom, an app that allows you to do conference calls with people who are thousands of miles away, so you don't have to catch the 10-hour train ride to speak to your girlfriend. Initially, the program bombed. Eric failed, and many people got off the program, and he had to call his clients to apologize. With all of that, Eric was the subject of lots of censure and criticisms, but Eric would not let his circumstances define him. Then the coronavirus broke out 
Like it or not, millions of people were thrown into the digital world. In a matter of days, millions learned to communicate via a little device, a little app that Eric Yan designed called Zoom. Eric would not let his circumstances define him. You may be like Eric, facing lots of criticisms and failures. People censure you for steps of faith that you have taken. When people look you in the eye and say, you are hopeless and there is no future for you. Do not let your life be defined by circumstances. The people of God knew a lot about failures and criticisms. When the people of God returned from exile in the book of Ezra, they were severely criticized when they started to build the temple of God. Their neighbors hated them. And we and Ezra devotes one whole chapter in Ezra chapter 4 to talk about the criticisms that the Jewish people face from their neighbors out of jealousy, out of hatred. These people started criticizing them, started to put down their project, started to censure them, started to laugh at them for trying to build God's house. So what did they do? They decided to discourage God's people, these neighbors. They began to threaten the Jews so that they would not build the temple of God. They even bribed the Persian officials to work against the Jews. But the Jews would not let their circumstances define them. And much later, in the time of the Persian king Xerxes, this opposition continued. It was not just for a few moments. It lasted for years and years and years. So in the time of Xerxes, very much later, there were two individuals, do you remember their names? Raham and Shimshai. They decided to up their ante in terms of criticizing and putting down the Jews. So they used a new means of communication. Just like Eric Yen designed a new means of communication called Zoom that millions of people started using after the coronavirus outbreak. There was a new means of communication during Ezra's time. And the new means of communication was not called Zoom, but was called letter writing. Letter writing was invented much, much earlier than in Ezra and Nehemiah's time, but it took a hype uh, during this time um, because the Persians had developed a new means of communication. They have designed an imperial highway that connects the city of Persia to all the major centers of the empire so that letters could be sent to the king almost immediately through chariots and horses. And these chariots and horses will ride upon this imperial highway and get to the king almost immediately. So letter writing became very important during Ezra and Nehemiah's time and became one of the most top means of communication, just like Zoom is in our communication world today. So what did they do? These two individuals, Raham and Shinshah, decided to up their ante, decided to criticize and bring down the Jews using letter writing. So they sent out letters to the king Xerxes in order to stop God's work 
and to stop the building of the temple. Very interestingly, Xerxes is also the husband of Asta, Queen Esther, uh, the main character in the book Esther in the Old Testament. I always wonder what Esther thought when the, her husband received these letters that censure God's people and God's work. Did Esther say a good word on behalf of the Jews to her husband? Did Esther hide those letters? Uh, did Esther tear up the letters before her husband could read them? We don't know. Those are questions we can ask her when we get to heaven, when we see Esther in heaven. But it's interesting that they started to criticize the Jews through this new means of communication called letters. In the midst of all this opposition, we have our passage for this morning. Ezra chapter 5 verses 1, and 1 to 5. If we do not let our, our circumstances define us, what should define us during these times? When people speak ill of us, and when people say that we are hopeless, where is our hope? How do we survive during these times? Ezra 5 verses 1 to 5 give us some ideas of how we can face up in the midst of persecution. In the midst of criticism and evil plotting, we read these words. If you have a Bible, turn on or turn to Ezra chapter 5 with me. Verse 1. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Eldu, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. In the midst of all these criticisms of Ezra writing to us, telling us all the criticisms that God's people face, suddenly, in the midst of all this negativity, we read that, uh, that God sent Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the prophet, the descendant of Edu, to speak to the people. In the midst of criticism, God allowed his word to flourish. Notice the word prophecy is repeated four times, at least four times in various ways in this, in this verse itself. We are told that Haggai was a prophet the first time it said. Zechariah was also a prophet. And then we are also told about that Zechariah was a descendant of Edu. Why are we told that Zechariah was a descendant of Edu? Edu was also a prophet. He was a very famous prophet during the time of King Solomon. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 29, he was a prophet that prophesied to Solomon before his death that one day his kingdom will be torn apart by a man called Jeroboam, the first. So, so here we are told that uh, Zechariah was also the son of Edu, a famous prophet who prophesied. Four times, in four different ways, we're told that God prophesied. In the midst of criticism, in the midst when people were writing letters here and there, and using different kinds of means to bring down God's people, God speaks through His prophets. Why? In the times when we are being brought down by circumstances, by people, what needs to define dust is the very word of God. That's why four times it's being, it's being repeated here. 
Listen, listen to what God has to say. Why? Because it's very easy to be numbed when we are faced with discouragements all around. I remember when I was serving the church, we always had morning tea after the church service. However, not many people brought food to share. So I decided to spend a few hours every Saturday afternoon to bake some sweets for morning tea. Like cakes and muffins and, and things like that. And everyone seemed to be enjoying those sweets except for an elder. He was pretty upset that I was making sweets for the congregation. So I asked him why. And he said, do you know that many people in our congregation suffer from diabetes? Why are you still making all these sweet stuff? You should make some savouries. So I did. But with savouries like pies and quiche, you have to heat them before serving. So usually immediately after my sermon, I would rush to the kitchen and start heating them up. A few weeks later, another elder came up to me. This time he says, another elder, he said to me, you're always busy in the kitchen after church. You should be spending more time with your people. Forget about the savouries and bake some cakes. <laughs> so what do you do? Someone wants cake, someone wants savouries. It's easy to be put down and be discouraged when people tell you different things, when people try to bring you down. So what do we need during these times? We need to hear from God. But what does God's word do to us during these times? Two ways God's word, God's word does its work. Number one, God's word gets his work done. God's word gets its work done. The neighbors of the Jewish people use all kinds of technology and they may use the most write the most prolific letter to the king. They may pull the right strings, but if God doesn't say yes to their plans, nothing will ever work. For 18 years after King Cyrus, under the time of King Darius, the, peop the neighbors have been trying to stop the Jews from building the temple. But when God says, no way are you going to stop, the temple is still going to build. So that's what we read here in Ezra chapter 5 verse 2. Regardless of the techniques they use, the most uh, devious methods to stop God's work, what we read in Ezra chapter 5 verse 2, God's work still continues because God has the final say. So in verse 2 we read, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, and Joshua, son of Josezek, set to work to build God's the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Despite all the clever ways to stop God, if God doesn't get, the, get his stamp to approve what they were doing, God's work still continues. And this is what happens. 18 years later, God's work was still continuing and the prophets were with them. Why? To show us that it is only God's word that gets things done. Not our, own, not our devious ways, not our own clever techniques that birth out of sin. No, they won't get things done. Why? Because God's in control and God's word will, ever, will always have the final say. 
God's word, the, light, the, the, the criticisms of the people, though they may be sharp and hurting, they're like pieces of post-it notes without the gluey part. They won't stick. Only what God says is important. The criticisms from the, these people will one day disappear. The kings that may appear to be ferocious and to be holding um, the decisions will die. But only God will not die. But only what God says stands. So let's pause here for some pastoral reflections. If you are serving God and you are a subject of criticism, yes, by all means listen to the criticisms, but don't be intimidated by them. Ask yourself, are those criticisms true? If they are, learn from them. And then also ask yourself, what does God's word say during these times? Don't just listen to people. What does God's word say during these times? What does God say of you and your ministry? And cherish God's word more than what other people say. Because what other people say will vanish in the course of time if they're not true. But only what God says stands. God in the beginning of Ezra says that he wants a temple to be rebuilt. Regardless of how people try through different devious and clever means to destroy what God says, they won't work. God's word still stands. Very soon, the Persian kings will die. Very soon, opponents like Rahem and Shinshai will be wiped off the scene. But God's temple will still be rebuilt. And God's temple is Jesus Christ still remains to this day, regardless of how many people try to tear him down, even sending him to the cross, his word still stands. His cross, his temple still stands. Secondly, why do we need, that? Why do we need God's word to define us during these times? Because God speaks for himself when we are being criticized. God speaks for himself. When the Persian authorities realized that the Jews were still rebuilding the temple, they started asking questions. So in verse 3, At the time, Tetanai, the governor of the trans-Euphrates, and Shetel Bozanai and their associates went to them and asked, Who authorized you to rebuild the temple and to finish it? They also asked, What are the names of those who are constructing the temple? When the, in the midst of all this chaos, the Persian authorities very naively asked the Jewish people, so why are you still building this temple where the neighbors have been fussing all against it? Who gives you the authority? Notice that Joshua and Zerubbabel had nothing to say. They didn't know what to say. They didn't get the green light from the Persian king. They only got the green light from God. So they were busted. They didn't even know how to respond. There was no response. At such desperate times when the Jewish people were struggling for answers, what do we see read of? Verse 5. But the eye of God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they would not stop until the report would go to Darius and his written reply be received. In the midst when these Jewish leaders didn't even know how to respond to all these criticisms. 
God speaks for them. The eyes of the Lord spoke on behalf of the Jews. The phrase, the eye of the Lord, is very significant because it reminds us of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 15. When the, the temple was being dedicated, and during the prayer, when Solomon prayed for the temple, uh, and God says, Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name will be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there. God places a promise when the temple was being dedicated that his eyes will always be upon this temple. And even when this temple is in trouble, even when the people are in so much trouble that they did not even know how to defend themselves, which is what's happening here in Astra, they didn't even know how to speak up when they were questioned. God says, my eyes are still on this temple and I will speak up for you. And that is the beauty of this passage. That in the midst of all the opposition and criticism, that God's eyes are still upon the temple. Why is God's word reliable during these times of criticisms and fear? Because when God promises to take care of His people, even though a hundred years, two hundred years may pass, He will not go back on His words. His eyes are still on the temple and he will speak up for you don't let your circumstances define you let god define you because when you are attacked he speaks up for us he is faithful when he promised he will take care of us on may the first 147 years ago david livingston the great missionary of africa passed away just before Livingston passed away, he had a disciple of the name of Jacob Wainwright. Jacob was a black African in his teens, and he was good friends with David Livingston. David Livingston, towards the end of his life, told Jacob that after he died, he wanted his body to be brought back to England. So in April of 1873, um, uh, David Livingston fell ill. And after a few days, on May the 1st, he passed away in Zambia. When uh, uh, Jacob himself recorded uh, the death of David Livingston in his own diary, and he tells us what happens. So after the death of David Livingston, uh, they gave him a Christian burial, and they buried parts of his entrails underneath a tree in Zambia. And the people wanted to give him a... Uh, a Christian burial there in Zambia since David Livingston spent most of his life as a missionary in Africa. But Jacob, who was a faithful disciple of Livingston, says, No, because my master told me that he wants his body to be buried in England. But they said, How can this be? Because it, to take a body back to England during those times was very difficult. There was only a British port, but that's hundreds of miles from here. You need to bring the body to the, the British port and then take a voyage back to England. That's a lot of work, a lot of money. Are you sure? 
Jacob says, I promise my master and I will be true to my promise. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how difficult it is, I will be true to my master. And so that's what Jacob did. Together with two other colleagues, they began a thousand mile journey on foot to carry David Livingston's body from Zambia to Zanzibar, uh, uh, which is the, a little island, because that was the British port. So they, they walked a thousand miles just to carry the body to this little city port, in, in this little port city. And on the way, they were met with lots of difficulties. There were towns that would not let them pass through because they were carrying a dead body. There were people who ridiculed them. There were people who kept saying, no, this is not possible. But Jacob and his friends did it. They carried the body of David Livingston right to the British port. They waited and they, they had the support of some of the British Missionary Society. And five months later, they reached, not, they reached the port. And then a few months later, they finally reached England. Jacob was the only one, was the only black African that went out of Africa to England. And he was one of the, and was the only black Paul barrier that stood by the coffin of David Livingston as he had the funeral at the Westminster Abbey. He did all of them. And through all the difficulties, despite the criticisms that came along the way, despite the, the enormous costs that was associated with all the carrying of the body and transporting back to England, he did all that because Jacob first made a promise to his master that he would bring the body of David Livingston back to England. When Jacob made that promise, he stood by that promise despite the distance and the criticisms and the costs associated with it. When God makes the promise that his eyes, his heart will be in the temple and even when his people had nothing to say when they were criticized, God's eyes will speak for himself. God will speak for himself. Do not let yourself be defined by the circumstances of this world. But ask yourself, what does God's word say? And abide, take it, make that the treasure of your life. The defining compass of your life. And let him have the loudest voice in your entire psyche, your mind entire heart, entire mind. Because there will come a time when the world will persecute us, when we do not have the words to say. But God will speak. His eyes will speak on our behalf. Father, we come to you this morning. Our hearts surrendered again to you. Father, we thank you. Thank you that the world, the circumstances that we go through do not define us. Our failures are not final, but we can bring them to the cross. 
It is at the cross, Lord God, we find you. It's at your word that gets the work done. It's your word that speaks on our behalf. It's your word that will ultimately conquer all the circumstances of this world. So, Father, I just want to come before you and we take refuge again to what your word says about us and our future. May your heart again Look to your people, for those of us who are anxious because of this pandemic that we are facing. May our hearts, our minds not be fixated by our circumstances, but may our hearts and our minds look to what your word says, because these circumstances will not get its way if it's not stamped by you. You will ultimately still have your work done. So Father, we look to you. We look to what you have to say. We thank you for these moments that we can spend in your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name and the church say, Amen.